Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is John Bonney, the Financial Force CFO, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 222. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Robbie Spreckman, CFO of Fierce Brands. But somebody just put something in front of me that that I thought was so tantalizing that somebody actually thought that highly of me. Whether or not they were in a jam, whether or not I was just the only choice they had, I, I didn't really look at it that way. I just said, wow, I've got an amazing opportunity, and I'd be stupid when I really sat and thought about it. I said, I'd be stupid. Worst case, I screw up horribly. I go right back into public accounting, and I felt like I was fast-tracked anyway, so what did I lose? So I, I took a step back, but if, if I could have done well... You know, this could have opened up a lot of doors. And in the end, I was very lucky that it did work out that way. And I love, I absolutely love working for entrepreneurs. I've worked for two just totally wild, crazy entrepreneurs that are, they're just different from everybody on the planet. Listen to our complete interview with Robbie after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis, the very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hello, we're speaking with Robbie Spreckman, CFO of Fierce Brands, a company focusing on the health and wellness franchise sector. Robbie, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you with us. As always, uh, we want to learn about Fierce Brands, but first, uh, let's find out a little bit about you and uh, the milestones you believe helped prepare you for a CFO role. Well, I have a very interesting start. Um, I came out of college and started out at a public accounting firm in New Jersey, and after a year of uh, doing uh, very, very well at what I was doing, in my mind, um, I was thinking about leaving and switching to a much bigger firm. And as a consequence or a penalty of my deciding to leave and giving notice, the uh, accounting firm sent me out to a uh, an area in Queens that was practically a war zone to a client that they had a lot of problems with. And I was there to do an audit and find out about if their CFO was doing something wrong. And after being there for a week, I uncovered a lot of problems and uh, a huge amount of problems. And I found myself being asked at the end of the week to come and meet the two owners after work on Friday night after my week was up. And they were asking funny questions about what I was doing and where I was going. And I told them that I was leaving within another week and moving to another firm. And out of nowhere, they said, we've watched you for a week. We think you can help us take over as the CFO. And I said, uh, I'm only a year out of college, guys. I'm 
cocky and good and think I'm awesome, but this is a little much. And he said, hey, you're making a mistake. You can grow with us, and you should think about it. It's Friday night. Call me on Sunday. You need to start Monday morning. And I laughed, and I said, I have to go home and talk to my parents. I still lived at home. And I got home, and I didn't know what to do. They were going to give me, obviously, a lot more money and a lot more freedom. And uh thought about it, and Monday morning, I started with them. I ended up being there for 22 years. Uh, ran their company, grew it from a $7 million export of used clothing and retail of used clothing in New York City. And we got it up to $21 million, had over 300 employees. So during my tenure there, I learned an awful lot, and I was able to, um, to really grow. Um, into the CFO role and learn an awful lot about money and business and negotiations. When I walked in the door, they were, they owed a million dollars to the IRS and the state in taxes. My, my predecessor hadn't paid anything and they used the money to open up new locations. So, you know, literally my first job was to negotiate with the IRS and get a million dollars worth of penalties abated. Um, so that was, it was trial by fire. And then I learned how to deal with vendors who were owed a lot of money and we didn't have the money to pay them right away. So, um, the, one of the owners sat me down and said, this is how you deal with people. You talk to them. You don't avoid their calls. You tell them the truth. You offer them deals and you know, we have to hold up to the deal you make. And that was great advice. And, and it got me a very long way. And along the way, we went into other businesses, real estate. We we actually, uh, one of the partner's sons started a franchise. So I got to work as the CFO of a startup on a franchise company um, that did uh, hypnosis for weight loss, weight loss and uh, smoke cessation. And that was uh, an amazing business. We started at $150,000 in sales, and the next year we got it up to $7 million. So uh, I was really lucky. I got into a great situation, and uh, I was able to really flourish there and learn an awful lot. And, <laughs> i got to say, that's one of the best stories we've had. Crazy, um, huh? It's unbelievably yeah, crazy. Story. You're such a young man at the time as well, though. Did you continue to enhance your technical knowledge? How did you learn? Did you reach out to, to mentors, or how did you augment Along the way, and clearly the owners might have been mentors for you, but I would imagine you needed, um, you know, some finance mentors as well. Well, I'll tell you, to be honest, you know, the the amount of accounting and the financial uh, knowledge that you really need, um, you know, to really just basically handle the books, to be able to hand them off to a tax professional, you don't have to, you know, be a CPA and be wonderful and end all be all. I don't need, I didn't need to file tax returns. So I just needed how to set up the books properly. I mean, um, this is ancient stuff. I mean, I bought the first computer they ever had. We were using, you know, the, we had the first fax machine ever. We were using teletypes to do business overseas. So when I brought a computer in, it was amazing. And we were using Lotus at the time because I don't even know if Excel existed. Um, and I basically was able to take their their office from a one-rate system but talk about the dark ages, you know, and uh, and computerize it as best as I could back in the you know eighties, mid eighties, and that continued, and it was 
That was a big deal as far as just setups. I actually got in a big software company. ADP at the time had a, a really crazy wholesale distribution software package that I was able to uh, to buy to bring in. We had retail clothing stores in Manhattan. We were the first guys to, to coin the term vintage. So we had vintage clothing stores in New York City that were visited in the 80s by you know all the major you know, rock stars, Cindy Lauper, Bruce Springsteen, Cher lived down the block. We would have to close the store when they went to the shop. And all these items in the shop, for the most part, were, you know, used clothing that had been, you know, that we had purchased, whether it was from donations or whatever it was at the time. And we had hundreds of people working and sorting and grading. So I had to get, I ended up having to bring in a retail software package, you know, back in the 80s and understanding open to buys and things like that. So I really was able to lean on, yeah, I was able to lean on a couple different mentors, some of my my friends at the CPA firm when I was jammed up. Um, one of the owners was an amazing businessman and just ridiculously smart. So I just tried to listen and soak up how he negotiated what he did. I mean, in my opinion, you know, he was, it was almost smoke and mirrors. I mean, he was selling a, a used garment to Macy's and Bloom, Bloomingdale's and, and I couldn't believe how he did it and how well he did it. So, um, he was a really, he was a pretty good mentor for on the business side. So fin- the finance side is once you set up a system, you know, that's the easy part. It kind of runs itself as long as you know what to look for. The harder part is, you know, trying to understand business, understand how to grow, understand what, what important key, you know, metrics and factors come into play in your business to keep your business around and grow. And interestingly, in, in in many ways, you learned a lot more about business, perhaps, than you would have had you gone to the larger uh, public accounting house, perhaps, or had you uh, joined a finance team of a of a larger company where perhaps you would have been involved in, in just certain aspects of finance. That's exactly correct. I would have, I was on that path to work for a big CPA firm, get my CPA, probably end up either, you know, sticking with them to the end or getting my own CPA practice. And, and what I thought, what I did instead was I really learned everything about, you know, uh, man, many different types of businesses, you know, from the inside out and doing it every day was, um, you know, the accounting was just a side piece that just allowed me to, you know, validate what we were doing. So it was really, you know, an unbelievable education into uh, running companies, you know, running a business and, and understanding how to make it work. So you mentioned along the way you got exposed to uh, a franchising model. But one would imagine that's, uh, in a way, how you segue into your your latest chapter. But share with us how you you landed there. Yeah. So so how I did end up uh, landing here over at Fierce and the the main you know the crown jewel of Fierce is Retro Fitness, uh, a health club chain that uh, we absolutely love that has really run you know wild and, and done a great job. Is uh, yeah, I was. Lucky in one of the things we did, I had franchise experience. I had worked at a, as a franchisee, as the CFO of a franchisee, as I said, in uh, hypnosis here in New York City. And uh, we opened up five branches. We were very successful. It did a great job. We were even going to merge with the franchisor. So I started learning a little more about the franchisor. Unfortunately, when it came to the due diligence part, I uncovered some things that were not good, and uh, we didn't merge. And then the things that I uncovered ended up leading to a, a big problem with the franchisor staying in business. So, 
So that kind of went by the wayside, unfortunately. Um, good for us that we didn't do it. But uh, but on my resume, you know, there it was that I, I ran retail. I ran a franchisee. I was a franchisee, and I had been a CFO for 20 years. And when a private equity firm came in and uh, wanted to buy into Retro and Fierce, they were looking for those three things. And again, very lucky I happen to have those three things on my resume and you know, and my resume popped and uh, came down for the interview. And uh, I think I said something about there's time to sleep when I'm dead or I don't need to sleep for the next three years, so let's get this thing going. And Eric, our CEO, I think loved that. And, you know, he saw my passion and the fact that, you know, when I'm in something new and we're growing, you know, you got to give it all. you you got to go. you got to go all in and you go. And I think he saw that in my eyes, and I think that's all he cared about. And uh, and it put me uh, here at Retro, and it's been, uh, since that time, it has been uh, a whirlwind of just really great things happening, lots of great people, you know, meeting some great uh, people in this industry, the fitness, health and fitness industry, there's great companies, great people, um, all our employees are just, we have an awesome team, and our franchisees are awesome too. In the earlier part of your career, that was a, a family-owned business. Was there any private equity involved in that? Or? Not at all. That's a, You've that's tried new things before. What do you What do you make of the? Uh, you, you have to partner and and communicate closely with the private equity partner at all time, and uh, there's a different dynamic maybe inside or completely different dynamic. Yep. There, you know, owners. You know, it's the real difference of this is when it's your baby and your your life, your livelihood, your family's livelihood is is based on everything you do. You know, it's very important when you're a private equity guy or company, you're looking at returns and you're trying to help and you're trying to add value to help the company grow to get greater returns. Depends on who your, you know, who your equity partners are. Do they have the vision? Are they willing to pay? You know, meaning are they willing to give you time to invest, you know, for greater growth or do they need something now? You know, everything depends on, on the outlooks of your partners and, and how you guys agree to go towards the future. So let's find out a little bit about this space uh, and the competitive landscape for uh, Fierce's. Uh, I guess it has a couple of businesses in the space, but what what would you tell us about uh, uh, the offerings that you're you're rolling out here? So Retro Fitness is a we're in the the low cost, high value category of the health clubs. That's that's a phenomenon that occurred in the last I'd say five to seven years. Uh, with Planet Fitness leading the way, and I think Retro being the second in um, on that. And what it really means is um, you give people a great experience with great equipment and great amenities, and you don't charge them very much money. You know, our price is nineteen ninety nine a month, and we give you a great gym with tons of equipment, and we give you tanning, we give you a smoothie bar, we give you the ability to do personal training, you know, buy things. So it, there's there's a, it's a great offering, uh, you know, in the in the late late I guess uh, early 2000s, you know, most of the gyms were much higher in price, and what is the shakedown was was Eric came up with a model that he just said if I can get enough people in at twenty dollars a month and give them a great product, they're going to keep coming, and he was right, and we have expanded on that, and I will tell you that boy, our market has gotten fiercely competitive. Um, some of the, um, almost everybody who's in this market, if they were higher priced or had a different model, everybody's trying to take a shot at this model 
that um, Planet is doing and we are doing extremely well. And it's getting very interesting and differentiation is getting tighter. Um, Eric, you know, being the visionary he is, he came out with um, a whole new training process that we believe is going to help a lot of people. It's really funny. We're in the health and wellness industry. We have these amazing gyms and people come and sign up. And sometimes I think as a as a whole industry, we fail people by not giving them a path to being successful, you know, and I think Eric's got a product and an offering that we're just starting to offer that I think is going to give people a really good path, get them successful and help them hit their goals and, you know, be happier, healthier people. And obviously when you do that, you know, that spreads and people hear about it and it helps with referrals and it helps people come. And I think if you do great things, uh, people will hear about it and come and, and the money will follow. I, I am a firm believer of that. So what, what are the numbers that you're paying close attention to, to, uh, Make right. sure all of the above it's, is happening. Uh, it's pretty crazy here because we have to, you know, I have to look at three things overall. You know, ultimately our member at every one of our clubs is, is our customer. We also have our franchisees are our customers. And I mean, our partners and, and our vendors are our partners. So I have to I pretty much keep my fingers on, on, on all three of those things. And we have, right now we have 150 locations. So basically I get reports every morning that tells me about membership, new memberships, tells me about our personal training sales, which is a huge, huge engine for income. Uh, also tells me about, we have a, a funny stat which tracks how much people spend in the gym when they come in. It's very hard to, uh, to get people to spend money when they don't come in and, and at Retro Fitness we want members to come in all the time because we have a great, you know, ancillary products to sell them. So that's a big stat for us is we get to see how much money we can make on people who come in the gym and that what that really is, it's not about how much can we take away from people. It's how well is, is the staff doing at making our customers, our members understand all the different products we have to sell and why they should buy them. So we really can look, and an owner can look. I mean, all our reports are based on how do we, if an owner wanted to be on a on an island sipping, you know, a margarita on vacation, and he could open up his iPad, he could look at a very few stats and be comfortable that the gym was running well and the managers and the, the people were doing their jobs. And those are some of those stats that we put together for them. And I look at the same thing. I'm just not looking at it for one gym. I'm looking at it for 150. So that's on that. That's on the the franchising side. Obviously, I have to look at my you know my cash every day. What my projections are looking like. How are we doing against you know against our goals? And that's another set of stats. A lot less complicated. Um, you know, it's very funny in the franchising industry. You really only have two moving, two big um, expenses, and it's people and it's marketing. So, you know, to that to that end, you know, running the company isn't exactly uh, super challenging. Running it well and and learning and getting better, you know, that's the hard part. And your your franchisees, their financial health at any given time, are, are you involved in revealing to them or helping them have the tools they need to to operate 
uh, you know, profitable businesses? Sure. We, we, we certainly work with um, my office, which I, I only have, you know, one second in command, my assistant. And either she or I will work with all new franchisees. We'll try to talk to their accountants and bookkeepers, teach them how to set up their books properly. You know, if they give us a big half an hour, we can give them a couple spreadsheets and teach them how to enter everything and really track the revenue side. That's the thing we know very well. The expense side is really very individualized on the franchise because the franchisee can, you know, if he wants to pay his family and put them on payroll, if he wants to put his boat or his his plane or whatever he wants to put through his business, you know, that's the American dream. He could do what he wants to do on that side. As far as the revenue side, we teach them and help them. Um, we give them pro formas. We give them guides. We're always there. We, we, um, we certainly... Um, I learned, you know, a long time ago that they really are our partners and we really have to work with them and help them be successful because we only share in a very small part of their success. So not to help them is just, it's self-defeating. Wondering if you could uh, fill us in a little bit about uh, lending relationships and and how, uh, you know, they present a challenge as well as opportunity uh, for what you're up to. Sure. I would say right now, you know, in 2008, it was very challenging to get franchisees funding. And we're talking about, you know, we're a big investment level of anywhere from $1.5 to $2 million these days. So most people need, you know, financing help. And what we saw in 2008 when banks really were drying up, capital dried up, I needed to bring in you know, someone who is an expert to help us. And I actually brought in a third-party company, a gentleman who's been in the financing space in the franchise world for a long time. And he and I worked together um, to, um, to get help our franchisees get easy sources of capital and, and make their job very simple. And Richie's our guy, and he's been nothing but great. He takes all the information, packages it up, and makes it very hard for banks to say no. And he has a, you know, relationship with many, many banks. He can work with, if our franchisees, you know, love their local bank, he can even work with them. And what we found, you know, obviously these days what we're finding is banks are lending. They love our space. They love the fitness space. We actually have a report called the bank credit report. We get it from Fran Data. They are uh, a data company that reports on all franchises across the board and they are you know, uh, at arm's length, they have nothing to do with franchisees and they help banks uh, determine things about systems. So our bank credit report speaks about our whole system and how successful it is and what we do to make it successful. And he can walk in and hand a bank this and it's, it's basically built around what a banker would want to see, different stats, all the different uh, metrics. Um, about return on investment and where the system has gone, come from and going to, and it really helps even a bank that doesn't even know about our industry want to lend. So we've been very successful um, in doing it, even in tough times, and now it's not tough at all. We, we've got equipment lenders throwing money at us. We've got SBA loans having no problem you know, with us getting them. And um, that's been one thing we've been really, really successful at doing because it would be really tough, you know, selling $1.5 to $2 million investment and not being able to help them get financing. So I think we've kind of, for now, we've cracked that code and we've been very, you know, we just haven't had anybody get turned down yet. I want to just circle back about uh, the characteristics that you might have. We interview CFOs of all different 
sized entities. And there's an entrepreneurial type of CFO, which I think, you know, you clearly uh, would identify with. You took a different path. You had the traditional path before you. Um, but as a young uh, person building their career, you, you took the alternative path and in many ways a more entrepreneurial path. And I'm curious what uh, you're, you're content that you made the right choice today, I believe, as well. I'm just curious as to what are the characteristics uh, that set you apart, perhaps, from those uh, other uh, finance leaders um, that allowed you to, to take this path. Others might not have been well-suited for it. You have a different set of skills, is what I'm Yeah, saying. well, I'll tell you, I what I... I, I, you know, again, I really think back to that 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 offer that they gave me. It was it was gonna they were gonna double my salary back then. I think I was gonna go from like eighteen or twenty thousand dollars to like thirty five or thirty six thousand dollars. I was a year out of college. I felt really um, ahead of myself, and I was very head sure that that no matter what I did, if I took the job for a year and I and I just failed famously, I could go right back into that path that, you know, that I knew my parents wanted for me and I at the time wanted for myself, which was to go into public account and get my CPA. I knew I'd always have work. I'd always have a job. I'd always be secure. But somebody just put something in front of me that was, that I thought was so tantalizing that somebody actually thought that highly of me, whether or not they were in a jam, whether or not I was just the only choice they had, I, I didn't really look at it that way. I just said, wow, I've got an amazing opportunity, and I'd be stupid when I really sat and thought about it. I said, I'd be stupid. Worst case, I screw up horribly. I go right back into public accounting, and I felt like I was fast-tracked anyway, so what did I lose? So I, I took a step back, but if if I could have done well... You know, this could have opened up a lot of doors, and in the end, I was very lucky that it did work out that way. And I love, I absolutely love working for entrepreneurs. I've worked for two just totally wild, crazy entrepreneurs that are, they're just different from everybody on the planet. They're not, you know, they're not structured. They're not financial. They're, they don't think like any of us do. You know, my job being with these, you know, two different guys that are able to generate unbelievable ideas and have unbelievable vision is to try to focus and channel it and bring it down to how do we, you know, how do we make money and how do we do it profitably and, and put systems behind it. I can't, I don't think the way they do. I don't work the way they do. I can't do what they do. I just try to help make them you know, make their visions come out better. And um, because often they are just, they're just driven guys. They read a lot. They think a lot. They're up all different hours than us. And they want feedback at all different hours. I mean, I, I, I remember speaking when I first started with Eric. I mean, it was either we were texting or on the phone. If it was 3 o'clock and he emailed or text, there was only three or four of us in the company at the time. And any one of us would have answered him. Any one of us. And and that's the way, you know, these startups are, for me, super exciting, super just there's so much energy and, and everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to work. There's just the sky's the limit. It's such a great vibe. You know, the, the franchise I worked for before, the franchisee, we, we took it from two people to, geez, I think we had like 75 people. We had 50 hypnotists. We were training hypnotists. We had a call center in New York City. I mean, we're crazy. 
and we just kept going and going. And um, and then when I got introduced to Eric and had the chance here, you know, with with Retro, you know, and I I told him, you know, I don't need. He said we need to do something in three years that's you know amazing. And I said I don't need to sleep for three years. And I wasn't kidding. I get excited. I'm, I'm old school. I love to work. There's no no reason why we can't get stuff done 24-7. I, I don't believe, you know, my wife is not thrilled at times, but overall, she t- you know, we're, we're in it to win, and we all will do whatever we have to do. So, you know. I would love to know if there's a, and I'm going to uh, maybe take a stretch here <laughs> to compare the, the, you know, the most famous entrepreneur, as we all know. Um, but it was interesting that, uh, uh, when Steve Jobs goes back to Apple, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to whether how uh, this entrepreneurial mind is going to be able to help, uh, you know, uh, save a falling uh, large enterprise uh, company. And, of course, uh, the person that uh, many people give credit to, uh, as well as Jobs, is the CFO, who they found a way to collaborate and make decisions together, which was a surprise to many people who just saw Jobs as someone who would be, you know, the big idea uh, man. So similarly here, though, it seems to me, again, sometimes entrepreneurs look at finance as a sort of a uh, beyond uh, venture funding and what have you. Uh, the accounting is just sort of a necessary evil. <laughs> you know, it's not something particularly strategic to them. Um, but in the case of uh, uh, Steve Jobs and Fred Anderson was the CFO of Apple, they found this collaboration uh, in decision making. And similarly here, I'm wondering how could you make finance uh, strategic for the people you just described, these highly entrepreneurial idea-driven people? The role of the CFO is often to demonstrate that, look, this is, can be very useful to you, this visibility uh, into business opportunities and what have you. And you know how do I how do I create the tools to help you? Well, yeah, no, I I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. But I think what it is is both both guys I worked with, like I said, they're just they they were they come from a different place. They're so brilliant. They think about things so much different than the rest of us. And then you know they they've got a vision and they know exactly the way it needs to work in their head and how to do it. And I think what I've been able to help is I'll either. I certainly will test them, and I certainly, it's something they're saying, which happens all the time, is I try not to be the naysayer, but I always am very, you know, responsible to my job and what I'm here for, and that is to protect the overall good of the company. So I'm definitely the fly in the ointment half of the time, and when, and then, you know, I push them I certainly push Eric to just clarify it to me, dumb it down, get me on board, because once he gets me on board, Eric's off to do something else. And now it's up to me and the team to actually do it every day. Eric doesn't, he's got no time to do what we do. He, and, and certainly my job is to run the day to day here, you know, for everybody, for our franchisees and our employees. And my job is to insulate Eric as much as he wants to be insulated. I'm a sounding board. I'm supposed to, he comes to me knowing that I'm probably going to say no to a lot of things. And I think he knows that. And if he knows that when he believes and he's got the idea, he's not going to let me say no. He's going to turn me around, and and when he turns me around and he gets me on board, then you know, then we get crazy, then we just go. And I think it's it's good because I think I'm somewhat of a check and balance for him. Um, 
And I, I, again, my, my overall job is to make sure everybody on the team gets his vision done. I mean, so I, I think we are an integral part of each other's business all the time. Can you give us any insight then into maybe some of the decision making around, say, let's let's talk talent for a minute here, hiring. I mean, you know, everybody would love to have uh, a larger workforce to get things done, but uh, it just doesn't work with particular business models or what have you. Can you share with us some of the uh, insight into how you hire and and uh, the costs allocated to? To building a workforce? Well, I will tell you that, like I said, when I was first brought in in 2008, I was the, Eric had started the company with Eric, Matt, who ran all of his operations, and um, and a young lady who stayed in the office and handled the books. When the private equity guys came in, they said, we need to hire somebody to help you with real estate and a CFO. So they hired both of us. So we were five people for a while running, you know, a very large system. And um, we decided that, you know, we needed to start bringing on key people. You know, sales people were, were key, marketing people were key, uh, add a little to the operations team. And we kind of settled in somewhere around in about 20 employees. And we thought that was, well, you know, unbelievable growth in like six years to get up to 20. Well, now that we have 150 locations, we looked and said, we really need to help them more. We need to be in all of these locations and show our face and help them and talk to them and make sure things were going the right way. And we just, January, added 12 operations people. So we made a big investment um, in people because our franchisees need to know that we care, need to get help, need to be consistently trained uh, and advised. Because again, like I said, if they don't do well, we don't do well. So we've just, we really went in big. Um, you know, listen, we don't, I, I, we typically don't use headhunters for the most part. We don't really need a couple of key positions we have. But overall, you know, to get this uh, staff we have together, we have a great team. We kind of are very family-like. We work in two small houses that are houses. So that's our corporate offices, even though we're we're going to expand into one building where we're going to have a mini gym and a training center, which is going to be great. But, I mean, we kind of like a small family and we know each other and we treat each other like our family. And I think when people see that, whether they're uh, prospective employees or prospective franchisees, I think everybody that comes through pretty well. And I think that's a big difference between us and some of our competitors. You know, we're looked at it as more of a business. This is this is all our babies and uh and we take care of it and we work at it and we uh we we make it very personal here. So we're very different I think than a lot of companies. You mentioned real estate and of course that that's a huge piece of uh your involvement. Is that where your risk really resides? And I guess what I'm getting at, I don't know if you go out and you find great locations and then you find a franchisee or does the franchisee sort of find you and identify where they want to be and uh, together you you sort of try to uh uh, make an investment. Uh, how does it work exactly? Uh, it's, that's, that is a big, interesting uh, uh, part of what we do. Sometimes it, it's any of the things you've said. So it's great when a landlord reaches out to us and has an unbelievable site. But if the unbelievable site is in Oshkosh and we have nobody in Oshkosh and we're not in Oshkosh, it's not going to really help us. So that does happen. Um, 
once in a while we get we get uh, prospective franchisees who own buildings and say, what do you think? And we're going to be honest with them and tell them we have a, a software we have software partners that handle all our data. And basically, they, you know, we're a very data-driven company. We're very lucky. We have unbelievable data on our members. We know, you know, birth date, sex, sometimes where they work, where they live, how much they spend, and we can upload that with a partner, a real estate partner, and they literally can put in all our data, and they can help us try to predict what's going to be a successful site. And that's what helps us when, whether a franchisee brings us a location or a franchisee says, I want to go to this area. We then work with brokers. We work with our software, and we're looking for viable sites. Obviously, you know, the rent structure is super important in our model, you know, where your, you know, members are paying $20 a month. There are sites when we just can't afford the site. It's just that simple. We have a very strict pro forma and a guide to help them make those decisions. I mean, that's what they're for. We have, you know, a director of real estate, a VP of real estate. We have our software. We have guides. You know, we have a pretty good idea um, what's, is going to happen now. Obviously, we can't predict everything properly. Um, perfectly is a better word. Um, we just do our best, right? Our job is to give you the best chance of success. Now, ordinarily, we'd ask you uh, what we call the mentoring round, but I think it, you revealed so much in some of your initial um, stories that you shared with us in terms of your mentors. We always like to discover uh, the personal habit you believe has contributed to your professional success. I guess I can ask that, but I think it's your your uh, entrepreneurial posture. Well, I mean, I really believe that um, if you want to if you want to lead and you want to do a great job and you want to have people, you know, believe in you and and follow what you're saying, I think you need to walk the walk and talk the talk. So. I try to uh, work like an animal. I try to be smart about it. There's nothing I want to say no to. There's, you know, no job that I won't pass up. There's nothing that's that's too menial. I don't really care what it is. If things need to get done, we all have to get together and get them done. So I, I'm thrilled to roll up my sleeves anytime to do anything with any of my people. I don't care if they're a new hire or somebody who's been here before me. If they need help, I'm there. And um, you know, I think it's you've got to really be all in. You got to believe in what you're doing, and and hard work is is nothing to be uh, to be laughed about. You got to put in the time if you want to do great things and you want to work for a great company. You you got to work at it. It doesn't does, doesn't come. You've got to put in the time. Thought leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? 
Well, I would say there's a couple things going on right now. You know, we're we're trying to work with insurance companies to get um, more reimbursements of memberships at the gym. Already there are currently are a lot of big carriers that are working on that and we're working with them. So obviously if we can get to the point where a, an insurance company will, your health insurer will pay part of or all of your your gym membership, that would be an awesome thing for everybody. I think we all win. So I'm definitely working on that. Uh, we have a great and brand new you know, offering that we're going to be pushing through the whole system. Um, Eric's new Retro 2.0, I think that's going to be a huge priority for us. I think that's going to be a game changer in bringing in revenue and helping our franchisees be even more successful and our members be hugely successful. I'm really looking forward to that because I think that's just uh, a great, uh, great program and a great thing for everyone. You know, there's crazy technology going on in the marketing area, and with digital marketing more so than anything, you can actually track direct ROI, you know, versus TV and radio and billboards. You really can't track anything. You have no idea what's going on. The digital space, you can really track your, your direct spends to direct results and direct ROIs, and we've worked with a lot of different companies, and that's been a key financial focus for us because if we know that we spend one and we get back three, you know, every time we can do that, we're going to want to spend it. And there's so many unbelievably new technologies in the digital space that we blink every day. We can't believe we'll get 10 calls a day with the craziest things, and we have to listen to everyone and interview everyone and chase them all down because some of them are unbelievably, you know, wickedly smart, and they work. And you can't, in the old days, you know, you'd be like, yeah, I'll get back to you. Now it's, we want to test almost everything these days because a lot of these things are unbelievable. So, so that from a finance side, you know, if I can show any of my franchisees spend one and get back three or get back five, I'm doing it. Uh, I think the last other thing is, again, getting a hold of big data is, is super important. And I think that's, uh, in the next 12 months, it would be great to get my hands on, um, on some help from, uh, you know, whether it's going to be PhDs or MBAs who understand our data and can mine our data to give us different, um, data points that would be really helpful towards retention, you know, keeping our members coming and, um, and lowering attrition, leaving, you know, having people leave. And if we can look at the data and we have amazing data and we can start trying to come up with, you know, logical reasons when people are going to start having issues or when they're really happy and how to keep people happier and, you know, make them a part of the family longer, that's going to be a big part of what we do. Robbie Spreckman, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks for having me, Jack. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, 
visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening. Thank you.